This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Well, months ago, as I was planning this year's preaching, I noticed that there was a Sunday that fell the day right before Valentine's Day. So I thought, you know, it'd be a great Sunday really to emphasize love and and marriage. And immediately, it was like the Holy Spirit just placarded the name Lindsay Poteet uh, in front of my mind because Lindsay's been such an inspiration to to me as a husband, he and uh, Barbara. And so I asked him if he would preach today on that theme of love and marriage and weave their story into the message because I thought it would be very powerful. And Lindsay agreed to, to do that. And so we are thankful uh, for his willingness to serve in that way. We've been praying for him, praying for uh, this day. He and I go back a ways. Um, I've been Lindsay and, and Barbara's pastor in multiple churches. This is the second one. Um, and they've been such a blessing uh, in my life, really, for a quarter century or so. Um, Lindsay had such an impact on me as a young pastor, uh, his coming alongside in just so many ways. He and Barbara took me to Israel for the first time, which was life-changing for, for me. Um, Barbara, such an encouragement to me. I can remember a night, uh, at, uh, it's a Wednesday night, we were, I was a pastor at Bethel Baptist Church at that point, and our kids were very small, and I can remember standing out in the foyer of that church and asking her a question. I just wanted her wisdom on the parenting issue with, the, with young kids, and just remember her answer was just so wow. I mean, it was just, it was a word spoken right in season, and God just used her in just such a powerful way um, in that moment. And now, in God's providence, I get to be their pastor again um, at, at First Baptist. And Lindsay is a native of Suffolk. He was actually uh, baptized right here, and he and Barbara were married here uh, at our church. He directed the Peninsula Rescue Mission, an incredible uh, ministry, uh, one of the one of the awesome ministries in the 757 in our area um, for many, many, many years. But also during that time of directing the Peninsula Rescue Mission and giving leadership to that, God's used Lindsay to bless so many uh, local churches through his excellent uh, Bible teaching and preaching. And so we get to benefit from that today. And so we praise the Lord uh, for his ministry and are just excited about how God's going to use him today. Let's welcome Lindsay today. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. I can remember bounding up those steps. So I've got a good memory. It reaches way back. (laughs) Our journey of love. Many of of us in this room and others perhaps uh, watching by the internet and and viewing this later on, on YouTube 
have loved ones who are struggling with uh, memory issues. Could be a spouse, could be a sibling, a child, a parent, other loved one not related by blood. And while no two paths are exactly the same, there are a lot of similarities in, in this journey that, that we're on and that others of you may at some time be or are currently on. And I do hope that our sharing today will be of help to you uh, in that regard. I want to introduce my wife. Uh, many of you know her, but a lot of you are new to First Baptist, and we haven't been around much. I've been preaching every Sunday, and then COVID uh, kind of set us all back. But I want you to meet my wife uh, by audio today, and so I wanted her to sing a special for us. So she'll do that now. Sons of the earth. 
and I think we can we can just stop it right there, Casey. That'll be fine. I uh, almost messed that up by humming along with her, and my mic is on. I heard me. It wasn't a good sound. As Thurman said, we go back a long way here in Suffolk and with, um, with First Baptist Church. First Baptist planted the church where I met the Lord 61 years ago, Saturday before last, February the 5th, 1961. I remember giants like Gordon Hanna and Jack Wills who discipled your dad. I remember sweet ladies like Verley Matthews who led Baptist Training Union and taught me how to talk in front of people without getting scared to death. At least I think she did. And so uh, having preached both of my parents' funerals here, being baptized here, standing right down there to say I do to my bride, some very, very special connections here. Those steps that God has led us on along the way David said in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a man are ordered or established by the Lord when he delights in his way. I'm convinced that finding our life's mate is the second most important discovery that we make in life after finding Jesus as our Savior. And I say discovery and not decision, because it's his determination and not ours that makes for the best marriage and marriages. When we decide whom we're going to marry, we make a great mistake. When God decides and we discover, that's when it works. Our own journey began in the fall semester of 1969 at Piedmont Bible College in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's, uh, that's where we met. Each of us had been in uh, relationships with other people, but in process of time, those relationships had ended because God had a different plan for us, a plan for us to be together. In fact, uh, so many students met their spouses there at the college, that Piedmont Bible College was jokingly sometimes called Piedmont Bridal College. And it was certainly that case for us. Barbara worked part-time in the cafeteria. I can remember her smiling face as she would uh, put some food on my tray or plate or whatever the setup was. Um, we didn't know at the time that was very prophetic of the many wonderful meals that I would enjoy in and from her kitchen. Now that I'm the cook, I wish I'd have paid better attention. <laughs> Guys, may I say to you, don't be afraid to learn the ins and outs of the kitchen. Two of my best friends, and they are men's men, are excellent cooks. And you don't need to be afraid to, to learn how to cook. I wish I had learned. Learning that we both lived in Tidewater while we were students there in, in Winston-Salem, Barbara asked about possibly getting a ride home some weekend when I might be coming. 
I was certainly happy to oblige as she was so pleasant and so kind and a real fox. (laughs) She was out of my league 100%. But (laughs) it was such a joy to be able to to bring her home. And those four to five hour each way road trips on a few weekends along the way became great opportunities for us to to converse, to get to know each other heart to heart and mind to mind. We talked, we sang, we got to know each other's families. You know, you don't just marry a person, you, you marry a family. And so God used all of that to, uh, to bless us and to prepare us. At some point, we began hanging out with groups, and we'd ride to church as groups. We'd go out for ice cream or pizza as groups. And, and somewhere along the way, that, that skinny boy started dating that lovely girl one-on-one. And that's when our hearts really began to, to come together. I believe it to be generally true Fellows, I'm, I'm speaking to guys right now. That the way a young lady relates to her dad is a pretty good indicator of how she's going to relate to her husband. Barbara loved and respected her dad so much, so much that she would never, never consider marrying somebody that her dad didn't approve of. He had met a couple of guys that she had dated there at the college. And they got his thumbs down. So she moved on to other pastures. I won't say green, although I was pretty green. It's a mystery to me till today, except for the providence and grace of God, why I got the thumbs up. But I was the one who was privileged to marry her. From David in Psalm 37, let's go to his son Solomon in Proverbs 5 and verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife. Sounds a little strange for Solomon, doesn't it? The wife of your youth. Wish he'd have taken his own advice. On Saturday, June the 6th, 1970, as I said, right here, in this place, we were wed. And that day we promised faithfulness and love and life. Our vows went something like this, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, until death separates us. And for 51 years, seven months, and seven days, but who's counting? We have kept those vows, and it's our plan, by God's grace, to keep them right along. Now, we'll go from David and Solomon. Let's go all the way back to to Moses in, in Genesis 2. Second page of the Bible, God talks about marriage, and he talks about the responsibilities in marriage. When in, in Genesis 2, 24, he says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, cling, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If a man is going to rejoice with the wife of his youth, 
He's got to hold fast to her. And so what Moses is saying is, is right in keeping with what Solomon had said in Proverbs uh, chapter 5. And so this word that's translated, this Hebrew word that's translated hold fast or cling or cleave is an interesting word. It occurs, occurs quite a few times in the Hebrew Scriptures. One of the uh, more telling uh, occurrences of it is in, in uh, 2 Samuel 23.10. The writer is talking about one of David's mighty men. His name was Eleazar. And he says of this mighty warrior of David's, he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. Some of you maybe who've been in the military have held a paring knife peeling potatoes so long that it didn't want to let the knife go. Others of you in construction have driven nails with a hammer to when it was time to lay the hammer down, it, it didn't want to let go. Uh, those of you whose hair looks like this or has disappeared maybe know something about chopping peanuts. And you hold on to the hoe all day long. And when, you, when your lunch break comes or your day ends, you want to put the hoe down and you, you have to peel your fingers off of the hoe. That's this idea here. That, that Eleazar held onto that sword so hard and so long that when it was time to let it go, he couldn't do it. And that's how we're to hold to our wives, as Moses told us in, in Genesis 2.24. And it's the same way that we hold on to the Lord. Uh, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 20, very same word. Love the Lord your God, obey His voice, and hold fast to Him. And as we hold fast to the Lord, isn't it wonderful that He holds fast to us? <laughs> we, we hold fast, but that's not really what keeps us. It's His holding fast to us that keeps us. But as we hold fast to the Lord, we should hold fast to our mate and, and to our spouse. Now, it's important for me to express to you how, how wonderful a wife Barbara is to me. I have not been the easiest guy to live with. I'm, I'm one of those people who thinks he's always right. And who, because I was the middle of five children, I can win an argument even when I'm not right. My mother, whom so many of you knew, said to me one day, son, just because you can win an argument doesn't mean you're right. Well, Barbara had to live with that day in and day out. And she handled it. She handled it so very well. When ministry priorities took me away from the home, a lot of nights, a lot of days, a lot of overnights in the hospital in different settings, she held things together with the children. She could not have been more supportive of the ministries that God gave us together to share. As a pastor's wife, she was always there, singing, uh, teaching, leading our choirs on occasion, uh, planning and executing special events. I saw the pictures of a couple of Sunday school classes last night. Uh, who went out for Valentine's. And it reminded me of my wife spending all day Valentine's Day cooking Cornish hens for 40-some people 
when we'd have a Valentine's banquet. And she was always right there and, and so involved in our church ministry. Our Israel ministry, greatly enhanced by the way that Barbara's so warm and winsome and is, is willing to, to try new things and, and, and is welcoming to people. In fact, I, I often thought, and I say this in all sincerity, I think there were times when people came to our churches or when people joined our Israel tours because of Barbara, and I was just along for the ride. But it was a good ride, and I was glad that that was the case and that she was such a blessing in, in our ministries. On a recent Sunday morning, I get up pretty early, and I was, had finished my devotions. Uh, I, I'm like Pastor Hayes. I like uh, Spurgeon's morning and evening on a morning with a good cup of coffee, and Charles Spurgeon is such a great way to start a day. And I jumped over to Facebook, and a a dear friend of ours who now lives in Texas uh, and is widowed and, and remarried had commented to her children, one of whom is a missionary in Southeast Asia with the IMB, walk with God and make good choices. And I messaged her and I said, I've heard that before. She said, I know you have. She said, I learned that from your wife, my dear friend and mentor who meant so much to me in the raising of my children. That same day, I was preaching at a church uh, just up the road in Windsor, and I heard two ladies talking, and the one lady was telling the other later about our daughter Faith, and how she had been a spiritual mentor to her daughter, to this lady's daughter, who is now married to a minister and a mother of her own three children. And so it goes making disciples who make disciples, just like the mission statement of our church. And Barbara's ministry goes on through our daughter Faith and our son Philip, the two of whom we are so very proud. It's, it's not in doubt that my ministries are probably known by more people than Barbara's ministries are, the, the pulpit ministry, the radio ministry, and, and other things. But I will tell you that there are dozens and dozens of mothers and grandmothers scattered around in many places to whom my wife has ministered and who have benefited from the fountain of wisdom, just like Pastor Hayes mentioned, that, that flowed from her when asked a question or when sitting around our, our dining room table and she teaching those Bible and life lessons in settings called Graham's Girls. Generations of children are the beneficiaries of those times. I have recently pulled out a couple of the books that she journaled in during those Graham's Girls days and marveled at the richness of her wisdom as she shared it with, with young ladies. Barbara was and is the consummate mother to our children. Whatever they were involved in, she was involved in. At church, at school, and anywhere else. Our daughter's quite a proficient pianist, and uh, the piano teacher in our little town wouldn't take her when we wanted her to go because she didn't know how to read yet. 
And so Barbara sat down and gave Faith her first piano lessons. Our son, who ministers in music with his voice, got his first voice lessons from a lady that during those lessons he had to call her Mrs. Poteet, not Mom. And so her ministry has reached so far through the two of them, and now their six children are ministering to people in those very same ways. Barbara understood the children better than I did. I think mothers often do. And she was wise to train up each of them according to the way that God made them. Now, I'm giving you a verse here that you won't find like this in any version of Scripture unless I produce one one day. We'll call it the LPV, the Lindsay Poteet version. But Proverbs 22.6 says in my version, train up a child according to the way God made them. Even when they are old, they will not depart from the way God made them. Barbara understood that. She knew which one of our children needed a stern hand and which one of them could be led more gently with effectiveness. As the children grew and married and and then had children of their own, as a mother-in-law and a grandmother, Barbara was right in her element, uh, just uh, teaching the young and encouraging them and, and shaping young lives, things that God equipped her to do so well. And I continue to do, till today to be the beneficiary of wisdom that I got from her over the years of our marriage. As much as anything, I, I miss being able to, to pick that brain uh, when I have a, a difficult problem uh, that I am facing. Now let's jump over to the New Testament. We've looked at David and Solomon and Moses. Now we're going to take a look at Peter. Now we know Peter was a married man, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Now I will tell you, if a man gets a mother-in-law and doesn't get a wife in the deal, he's a bigger fool than Simon Peter. Okay? <laughs> So we know he had a wife. And Simon wrote this about marriage. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Eighteen years ago, right here, Barbara and I joined First Baptist again, uh, and another minister, retired minister, and his wife uh, joined that, that very same day. We became good friends. About 12 years ago, he met me one Wednesday evening in our, in our Family Life Center at dinner. Some of you will remember Don Apperson. Don had tears in his eyes. I asked him what was the matter. And he said, Lindsay, my ministry days are over. Now, Don was a retired pastor, but he did a lot of preaching and teaching and Bible studies here and there. And he said, my ministry days are over. And I said, Don, why would you say that? 
And he said, my Margaret has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And now I must care for her. You know, you don't know what to say so many times. But you know, God, you open your mouth, God will often fill it. And you know what God gave me to say that night? Don, I believe this will be the greatest ministry of your life. Not knowing at all that within a few years, that would become my ministry, my primary ministry. And I will say this, God's given me a, a long, I started preaching when I was 13 years old. I've been preaching for over 60 years. I've preached in Israel hundreds of times. I've preached on the radio thousands of times. Over 30 years with Bible Broadcasting Network. Interim pastor at this church for a year. Other places. 14 churches I've served as interim and supplied it. Scores more. I've had such a ministry of, of, uh, that I would never have dreamed of, of a little boy sitting over here on the front pew on Sunday nights. But I tell you, the greatest ministry I've ever had, I have now. It's the ministry of keeping promises made. It's the ministry of caring for someone in ways I never knew I'd have to care for her that has cared for me so well for so long. And I believe this seriously and honestly to be the greatest ministry of my life. We were first noticing a, a, a change in Barbara the day our youngest grandson was born. On his dad's and my brother's birthday, July the 30th, the year was 2012, Barbara left the hospital to go on an errand and found herself sitting in a shopping center parking lot, weeping, not knowing how to get back to the hospital. She didn't tell me. She told Faith. A couple of other times, she, she got disoriented and lost while driving, and she had a cell phone with her. She'd call Faith, and Faith would tell her how to get home. And so at some point, Faith broke it to me, and, and that's when our next journey began, the journey that I call not only our journey of love, but the long goodbye. Bit by bit, pieces of our, our precious Barbara have slipped away from her and from us, cooking, driving, reading, writing, and so much more. I recall a day when I became the laundryman at Turner Drive. She came and asked me to come to the laundry room, and she'd put the dirty clothes in the dryer and poured detergent on them. And she said, I, I don't know how to do this. And I've been doing the laundry ever since. Did a load yesterday. I remember a pastor's widow, a dear friend of ours who loves my Barbara so well, when I was preaching in, in her church, uh, the, where she attends one Sunday, and before or after the service, I don't know which, she, she stopped me and she said, how's my Barbara? And I described to her the losses that we had most recently experienced. And I was emotional. And this wise pastor's wife reached out, squeezed my forearm and said, because she'd lost her husband, but Lindsay, you still have her. 
Oh, how those words have blessed my heart in the years since then. It's, that's been six or eight years ago. And it was the same church that she sang the song that we had for you just a little while ago. Barbara's adopted, as many of you may know, and her birth mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's a good many years ago. From that point on, Barbara had a fear that this might be in her genetics. On at least one occasion when she began to see that things were slipping away, I remember her saying, well, thanks, Janet. That was her, her birth mother. On at least a, a couple of other occasions, her awareness of, of what's going on has been more pronounced than, than usual. One of those occasions is somewhat vague, but one of them is crystal clear. We were in Williamsburg at a timeshare celebrating an anniversary or a birthday, I don't recall which, sitting on a little love seat. And she looked at me with the saddest eyes and said, I'm not like I used to be, am I? And on those occasions, I just wrap her up in my arms and say, sweetheart, you're just perfect. You're just perfect. I remember her as she was, but I love her as she is. And that's how it has to be. Those things cannot change when you hold fast to the one that is the wife of your youth. And I think it's better for her to be happily oblivious than sadly aware. And generally speaking, the disease takes care of that problem. One of the difficulties on our journey is the constantly moving target. Most of you have raised children. And you know the difficulties of, of uh, little children who need everything done for them. But they're growing up. And as they learn how to do for themselves, your responsibilities diminish flip that on its head, and that's this life. We are losing abilities, and the care ministry grows greater, becomes uh, more intense. One of my great mistakes was not realizing that I needed more help. Um, I'm like a lot of Adam's children. I've got more pride than is appropriate if any is appropriate at all. And I said, you know, God gave this lady to me. This is my job. I'm supposed to do it. And I ended up, beginning in 2014, I started ending up in the hospital. I don't know how many times, six, eight times. The last time was this past July, the 25th. It was a Sunday I was supposed to preach. I didn't. I went to the ER. Our wonderful children and their spouses took care of all of that. The next day, because Faith and Alan were in the middle of camp and couldn't stop, Philip was finishing a week's vacation and had work piled up on his desk. He couldn't stop. So that Monday, Faith and our daughter-in-law made the most difficult decision they've ever had to make, I think, and placed Barbara into the memory unit of a nursing home there in Smithfield. Now, just, just on the side, some of you have had the sad privilege of having to place a loved one in a nursing home. And you know, it doesn't happen quickly. There's paperwork. There's beds to be waited. There's doctor's approvals. There's all kinds of stuff. Faith made the phone call at 9 o'clock 
Monday morning. And at 3 o'clock Monday afternoon, my sweetheart had a bed 10 minutes from our house. Not an hour's drive away. And for 112 days, I saw her every day but three. I was in the hospital two of those days. And one of those days, I had to go to Charlotte for a meeting with the radio station, radio network. But I saw her 109 of the 112 days. And the greatest day since June the 6th, 1970, was November the 15th, 2021, when I brought her home. And God helping me, I'm going to keep her home. I've got more help now. I've got a dear Christian lady who comes and stays with Barbara five hours, three days a week, and allows me to get out and do things that I need to do. And, and uh, such a tremendous help. But I, I'm, I'm appreciative of the lessons that, that God has taught me through the results of my own faults and mistaken pride. I want to go now to a key text on the subject of marriage and love. It's possibly the greatest text in the Bible on marriage, certainly one of them. It's Ephesians 5 and verse 25, where the Apostle Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As, uh, as Barbara's circumstance has declined, her needs have grown, and it's been my joy to rise up and try to meet those needs with good help. I do all the driving. I, I miss her driving and me being able to read or take a nap on a trip. <laughs> But I do all the driving, the laundry, such as they are, the meals. Thank you to the many of you sitting in this room who have blessed us with meals. We are going tomorrow night to a young couple home for dinner whom we introduced. And I married and Barbara sang at their wedding 40 years ago. And we've got so many wonderful friends who have blessed us in this way. But the rest of the meals... Or poor fare, I think, because I didn't pay attention. So guys, pay attention. I bathe her, dress her, put on her makeup, pick out her jewelry for the day, and so much more. At times, I've said, it, it means rising early, staying up late to get my work done. Sometimes it means I recently said no to an invitation to, to do a revival uh, in a town not so far from here because my load was just too heavy and I, I couldn't do it. I don't like to say no to opportunities to preach. I'm a preacher. But before I'm a preacher, I'm a husband. After my relationship with Jesus, this is the most important relationship I have on earth is taking care of my, my sweetheart. And love requires whatever sacrifices we're able and should be willing to do. I want to give you a biblical definition of love. I do not know how much you will carry away from today, but I'd love for you to carry this away. And I'm, I'm sorry that our, our AV has failed on us, um, but please jot this down or at least attempt to memorize this definition of love. 
Love is a decision followed by action to pursue the welfare of another regardless of the cost and without regard for getting anything in return. May I say it again? Love is a decision followed by action to pursue the welfare of another regardless of the cost and without regard for getting anything in return. Isn't that what God taught us in Jesus? Without regard for the greatest cost ever paid, Jesus loved his own and he loved us to the end. Amen? What a Savior. Think about what he did for us. And his love, Ephesians 5.25, is our model. And I think we could flip it around. Wives, love your husbands. As Christ loved the church. I think that's okay. He's our model. Think of what Jesus did for us. The sinless, holy Son of God partook of human flesh, became a part of the, the human family for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness. This is what Jesus did for us. I will tell you what I think is the greatest part of the price that Jesus paid. We think so much of the physical suffering. We think of the, the mistreatment by people, even his own nation. But you know, whenever, whenever you and I feel alone, we can always look to God, right? He's always there for us. And he had always been there for Jesus. From eternity past, the Son had been an unbroken face-to-face, eye-to-eye relationship with God. That's John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Pras. Face-to-face. Eye-to-eye. And so he's been rejected by his nation, who turned him over to the Romans to kill him. He's been crucified by the Romans. His disciples have, for the most part, forsaken him and fled. And he's hanging on the cross, and he does what he always did. He looked to heaven. And for the first time in all eternity, he saw his father's back. God had turned his back on Jesus for us. And Jesus experienced that for us. Listen, nothing you will ever do for your spouse or any other person you love can match that, but we must model that. It's the command of God in His Word. Nothing that I could ever do for Barbara could touch the hem of the garment of what Jesus did for me. More than that, looking at it from a different angle, all that I could ever do for her is small payments on a very large debt 
incurred over 51 years, seven months and seven days of marriage, and her kindness and love for and care for me, even when I wasn't very lovely. I want to leave you with some challenges. First one, don't wait till you have lost something or are losing it to value it, to appreciate it, to enjoy it. Cherish your spouse, your, your parent, your child, your, your sibling, your close friend. Last Sunday, a, a dear friend sitting here said to me of his now deceased wife, I wish I had learned to love Linda before she got sick the way I did when she was sick. Listen, listen to Gary's wisdom, guys. Don't wait till then. Love her now with all the love you can give. Challenge number one. Number two, and this is to guys, don't fear the words, we need to talk. It's okay to chuckle. It'll help me. What, what husband wants to hear those words? We need to talk. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio in the car. Put aside your electronic device of whatever kind and talk. Have conversations. Share your heart. And show love. Number three. Don't be bothered by differing opinions, even conflict. Thank God that your loved one has an opinion, even if it doesn't agree with yours, and the ability to express it. So don't let differing opinions be a problem for you. Embrace them. Number four, take long walks. Hold hands. Look in each other's eyes. Talk. Express your love for each other. Don't be too busy for time with your loved one. I remember as a, a young pastor being so stupid. Uh, ignorant, I guess maybe is a better word, because I did learn. I was so busy one time. I, back in the days before we had these phones, three by five cards, I had punch lists, had thousands of things to do, it seemed like. And Barbara said, come, come sit down and let's just talk. Now, Please don't hold this against me. I've learned. I said, honey, I, I don't have any time to waste. And she looked at me and said, time spent together is never wasted. Remember that. Time spent together is never wasted. Number five, don't be afraid or too proud to accept or even seek help. Caregiving is not a one man or a one woman job. I don't often quote politicians that I dislike and don't agree with, but it takes a village, okay? Let the village in, you need them. Number six, 
trust God with your future. He already knows what it is, and He is prepared to take you through it. Don't worry about the future. Don't pay tomorrow's bills with today's money. Trust God with your future. And then the last. You know, Alzheimer's, dementia, call it what you will, is not the greatest problem I've ever had. The greatest problem I've ever had is I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And praise God, that problem's been solved. Jesus went to Calvary and on that cross shed his blood, was abandoned by man and by God to save me. And may I say to you, if you don't have that salvation, if, if that you don't have that Savior, don't put it off any longer. Get Him now. If you have Him, you have life. If you don't, you're dead in trespasses and sins. And you're on your way to hell. God loves you. So much that He sent Jesus down here to rescue you. To rescue us, to save us from our sin and its consequences. So come to Jesus. Pastor and I and Casey were in the balcony a little earlier. We had prayer. Pastor led, and, and he said something like this as a part of his prayer We're able to love because you loved us. Once you get Jesus, you really learn how to love. Without Jesus, it may be a strong affection, something resembling love, but when you get Jesus, you learn how to love. So whatever you get, get Jesus. Thank you for allowing this time, thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to share our journey of love. I have not desired to paint a bleak picture or to throw a spotlight on anybody but Jesus. It is He who has allowed this and who has gotten us through it to this point and will get us through it beyond because that's what He does. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the love that you showed to us at the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to endure all that you did on my behalf. Thank you for giving me a wonderful spouse, one certainly worthy of love. And I thank you for helping me to learn how to love her even better. We look forward to the days, months, years ahead and what you have for us. God bless this congregation here and others viewing or listening by other means at other times even. And may we make sure of, of this, that we have Jesus as our Savior and that we're willing to love our spouse as he loved the church. Thank you for helping us.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 